Noah and Rose, thank you so much. That is so great. Uh, it's great to hear from you. And I was so inspired uh, just to hear their update in thinking about um, how cool it is that 18 years of growing up here at the church and uh, Noah was probably taught by many of you and uh, you know loved by many of you, youth, youth leaders here as well, children's workers. And so it's so encouraging and so encouraging just to hear what God is doing. Um, around the world, but also in the Netherlands. And so um, be sure to go visit Noah and Rose. And uh, by the way, I did hear, I did watch a video of Noah preaching and stellar man, he is a good preacher. So one day we should get uh, Noah to preach here and uh, it'd be great. So anyway, what you heard them talk about was the DTS, Discipleship Training School. And, and I thought it was really cool just to have them come share today because I think this is a picture, a discipleship training school. This is the school that you've been invited to be part of uh, as you follow Jesus. He invites you into his school of discipleship. And uh, wherever you are in the world, as you follow Jesus, this is, the, this is the project we're on. We get to enter into school with Jesus. He's the master teacher, and he is delighted to show you and I how to live, uh, how to love him, how to love our neighbor, and he actually wants to change us. He actually wants to change us. Not just our minds, but our entire lives. And one of the, my you know, favorite images of discipleship is, uh, is, the, is the Hollywood movie, The Karate Kid, right? And uh, I know it's getting old, uh, you know, to reference this movie. Um, but Daniel LaRusso, many of you will remember, he leaves New Jersey, goes to California. Um, these kids in high school pick on him. And so he decides to learn how to do karate. And Mr. Miyagi... Uh, takes him under his wing. And uh, there's confusing training for Daniel because all he wants to do is learn how to do karate, but Mr. Miyagi um, gets him to wax his car and paint a fence and balance on a boat and uh, clip away at a bonsai plant. And you know, and the whole time Daniel's like, what is, why? like, where's the karate part? Um, and so you'll, you'll remember this quote, you know, the famous wax on, wax, wax on right hand, wax off left hand, Wax on, wax off, breathe in through nose, out the mouth, right? And so he's doing this waxing on and bonsai clipping, and yet Mr. Miyagi's trying to train his whole life, right? It's, it's his heart, his mind, his karate, is like all of it, right? And so it's not just head knowledge. It is just coming under the master teacher to be literally changed, a whole life changed. And I, I really like that because I think if you and I were to see ourselves as we follow Jesus as coming under the teaching of the master who knows us, who loves us, who might get us to do some things that we're like, what? What, what does that have anything to do with my life? Uh, but he's training us. And, and I want to ask you a question. Do you believe, do you believe that you can be formed into the image of Jesus? Do you believe that? Because it sounds wild, doesn't it? The promise that you would look like Jesus, that I would look like Jesus. It's like, really? <laughs> I mean, we're in the 21st century nursing our coffees on a Sunday morning, and we're like, what? <laughs> that's, the, that's the promise? That I would look like Jesus? Like, you know? And I want to say that as I ask that question, you know, do you know that the promise is that you are to be shaped to look like Jesus? There's two ways to take that. One would be in a condemning way. 
Because there's an enemy of our souls who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And when you hear that, you just go, yeah, I'm a failure. Like, I don't know. I've been trying to follow Jesus for many years, and I just can't do it, right? And there's a, there's a voice of condemnation where the enemy of your soul would say, see, yes, you're a failure. So your identity is failure, right? Um, but, but, but I would encourage us today to, to, to silence that voice in the name of Jesus, right? And to actually go, hold on a second. Um, the, the voice of the Father is a voice of, of conviction, for sure, but it's of loving, kind conviction. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation, right? And the Father who loves you deeply wants to move into your life with this gentle, kind, loving, but firm conviction to say, I don't want you to live that way. I want you to turn away from that. I want you to follow me, right? And so I hope that is the voice that you're gonna hear this morning. In the next number of minutes, as we unpack Jesus's words, that God is like, I want to shape you to look like my son. So I'm gonna come gently and I'm gonna bring my conviction because I want you to be made new. I want a renovation of your life. You can change, right? You can be different. You can look like Jesus, Okay, so we'll read Jesus's words and then we'll pray, all right? So if you would, would you turn to Luke 14? We'll start in verse 25. Luke 14, starting in verse 25. If you did not bring your Bible, it'll be on the screen. Here we go. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war with another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So this is the word of the Lord. So Heavenly Father, would you come and protect us from the condemnation of the enemy and bring your loving conviction. We know that you are for us. We know that you're good. And I pray that whether we are brand new to this journey with you or whether we've been following you for decades, all of us in the room, we're here because we want to be transformed by you. We want to be actually changed. So would you come in your love and change us, shape us? Holy Father, would you do that? Shape us into the image of Jesus. Amen. Okay, you guys ready to walk through the text? All we are going to do for the next number of minutes is just walk through the, this verse line by line. So 
Hopefully you're into that. Let's go. Okay, verse 25. Uh, loud, large, loud crowds. <laughs> large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said. Now, pause. I'm going to entitle this section, uh, The Way of the Cross versus The Way of the Crowds. So notice large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them. So in, in your mind, just picture lots of crowds surrounding Jesus. And when you read the New Testament, you notice Jesus is not impressed with crowds. You know, actually, if you follow Jesus' ministry, it goes from large crowds, smaller crowds, smaller crowds, to very little, to on the cross, basically, there's a group of women and John, the disciple, who's a teenager, and that's it. Everyone else has abandoned him, left him. And so today, if you go to a church growth seminar about how to grow your church, um, Jesus is probably going to do the opposite of whatever that seminar said, right? He's, 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 he's not interested in lowering the bar uh, when it comes to discipleship. He, he's, he's not interested in doing that. He has a message that will cost something. It will cost us something. And so uh, he's not impressed with crowds. Actually, Yale psychologist uh, Irving Janis was one of the first to write about the concept of groupthink. Groupthink. She said, when people get together in a crowd, they're exposed to a pressure that influences their ability to think clearly. In the 19th century, uh, the French author Gustave Le Bon was one of the first to write about the idea of mob mentality. A mob mentality. He, he argued that, um, that a collective mind is formed in a crowd where you begin to not do what you necessarily want to do, but you go with the way of the crowd. Um, the only time I've been in a riot was accidentally. I, I did not grow up as a fan of hockey. It was from the South. I was in a band. We were recording an album in Colorado, and so me and my four friends... We didn't know anything about hockey, and we were in this cabin, and we we're like, oh, let's go into the city of Denver, and hockey fans, uh, I mentioned the year, the year 2000, uh, and it was June 2000, and you know that the Colorado Avalanche, they won the Stanley Cup that year. We had no idea that the Stanley Cup game was on. Anyway, we went to a movie downtown, and we just like, you know, like you pop out those exit doors, walk out onto the street after a movie, and uh, we just kind of walked out into the middle of downtown Denver, and we were in a riot, and uh, People were shouting things, and we didn't know what it meant, but we joined in. This is this idea of a collect. It was like, go, Avs, go, right? But we didn't know what, the, we were just said things that sounded like that. Go, Avs, go, yeah, Avs, go. What are Avs? Don't know. And we're with them until we saw the horses coming with, their riot, with the riots on and the helicopter, and we're like, let's go, let's go find the car. Uh, let's, let's go back to our studio. <laughs> we don't know what happened. We're like, oh, they won the Stanley Cup, okay. Uh, but, but I felt it in that moment, this collective mind is formed, right, in the mob, in the crowd. And you lose your own personal decision-making, in many ways, in a mob. And we kind of go, ah, well, we're, when are we ever in a crowd or a mob like that? And, and you go, well, hold on a second. Like, what, what does it look like today, especially on social media, to be part of the mob, to be part of a crowd, to follow certain teachers, to movements that we join, anger that we feel. And it's like the movement or the ideology carries us, right? So do you, do you feel carried along by a crowd and a way of thinking? 
Because Jesus will come to us, and it's about you. It's not about the crowd. It's about you. He says, if anyone comes to me, if anyone, I want to look at all of you and say, one, 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 one. Jesus asks every person, every person to make a choice, to not go the way of the crowd, but to move towards the way of the cross. So a question I would ask is, where am I following the way of the crowd? As I'm seeking to follow Jesus, that's an important question for me to ask. And by the way, I just want to say, I think the Holy Spirit brings one or two things on a morning like this for you and I to, to wrestle with, to take with us throughout the week. I, I don't believe the Holy Spirit dumps 10 things that you need to change about your life. You know, I think he, he highlights one or two things. And so just what, what is the Spirit saying to you today as we dive through Jesus's words here? Am I following the way of the crowd? All right, let's stay in that passage. Keep going. Verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, one thing to note, um, hatred is actually, Jesus speaks against the hatred and anger of others in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, he, he actually warns against a life of hatred. And so what, so, okay, am I supposed to hate my family and not hate on the Sermon on the Mount? How, how do these go together? Well, what Jesus is doing is here is he's, he's getting us to ask the question about who is our ultimate, to whom, who has our ultimate allegiance and loyalty. That there will be moments, even amongst the ones you love dearly, where you will have to say to them, or say to yourself in your own mind, I cannot follow them any longer. They cannot have my allegiance, my ultimate allegiance, my ultimate loyalty, right? That there's a moment when Jesus is calling you to do something that your parents are actually asking the very opposite of you, right? Or your spouse or your siblings or whatever. And, you, and you're forced to make a decision. And I think this is this image of hatred. The, the idea is it turning back on those people being kings of your life or the authority of your life. And many of you in the room know this firsthand. Some of you may come from a Muslim family. And even the fact that you're in a church right now wondering whether you should follow Jesus as, as God, um, you've had to say to your family, I love you. And, and, and in the Ten Commandments, it says, honor your father and mother, so I honor you, but I will not follow you. My allegiance is to Jesus. Right? Some of you, maybe from China, maybe your parents are atheists, right? And, and for them to hear that you are exploring Christianity, you've had some hard conversations where you're saying, Jesus has my loyalty not my family. Now, some of you might say, well, that's not my story, and, you know, my parents were Christians, or maybe not, my parents were cool with whatever. And, but for you, and particularly for you in your 50s, 60s, 70s, some of you have children who have walked away from God. Um, and for you, it's really difficult. You say, I know God is calling me to love my child, but... 
I cannot believe what my child believes. I love my child with my whole heart, but I feel that even the way they understand Jesus now, or the way in which they're understanding Christianity, like it's pulling me away from Jesus. And I'm gonna love them with my whole heart, but my primary allegiance is Jesus. Man, that's difficult. That's a journey I don't know, right? It's a journey I'm watching in some of you. And uh, so this is a question we're faced with, right? No one else is king of your life. No parent, no spouse, no child, no sibling. They don't have the ultimate allegiance. It belongs to Jesus alone. So my question is, are there family members in your life that are keeping you from giving your fullness to Jesus? How can you love them but not follow them? You know, one of my friends uh, that I knew years ago uh, was a Buddhist, and he really struggled because he had made this commitment um, not ever to become a Christian, but he was loving Jesus. And that was a big question for him. How do I, how do I love my Buddhist parents and yet still say, Jesus is Lord? That's difficult. So let me ask, who has the ultimate allegiance in my life? Am I being swayed by family members? All right, verse 27. Um, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So, um, so uh, in Jesus' day, uh, when you were to be crucified by the Roman Empire, you would carry a beam across your back. Uh, the cross beam was called the patibulum. And so what would happen is there'd be a stake in the ground and you would, be, uh, you would bring the top, the horizontal beam, and then you'd be placed on the, the vertical beam. And so, but what you would do is when you would walk with that beam across your shoulders, as Jesus did on the Via Dolorosa, you would be shamed publicly. It's a public shaming, a public embarrassment, and it moves to your death. It's wild that Jesus picks this image of public shame to death to say, anyone want to follow me? (laughs) This This is what it will look like. This might be what it'll feel like public shame, um, people turning on you, and death. Which is why we baptize people. And some of you who might be new to Jesus, you, you look at it and you go, are they drowning people here? Like, what are they doing? They're, they're, they're pushing people into the water. And, it's, and, um, and there's some kind of, you, you, yes, that's what we're doing. <laughs> These people are dying. They're dying. You know, and that's the image of baptism is death. And then when they come out of the water, they're cleansed and given a new life, which means that in the Colosseum, when Christians were thrown to the lions in the Colosseum or they were martyred or even today when Christians are facing death and persecution, they can say, well, I already died. (laughs) So whatever man does to me or whatever, whatever the government does to me, it doesn't, it doesn't, of course it matters. It matters a great deal, but, but it's, but I had ultimately already died. And so that's the image of baptism. And it's what Jesus is calling us to. You want to be my disciple? He says, don't follow the crowd. You want to be my disciple? You'll have to die to the group think and the collective mind of the crowd. And you're going to have to make a choice. Do you want to be my disciple? 
There is no people pleasing here, even among your closest relatives. Do you want to be my disciple? Well, then ask, who has the ultimate allegiance in your life? Northangley, how are we doing so far? Are there, can you imagine any real life application coming to your mind? Verse 28. All right, so Jesus talks about a tower here. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna talk, let's talk about building towers, which I know a lot about the construction business. Let's talk about building towers and finishing well. Okay, so how many of you are in the construction business? You know, any, any hands? Uh, no one in this entire room is that, who's building everything? Okay, so not you. Okay, clearly not you. All right, so some of you in the building construction, maybe you've been in the past, you'll, you'll, you'll like this. I think you'll like this. Um, sorry, and the hands up wasn't to publicly shame. It was to encourage you, it was to say, some of you are like, I'm not lifting my hand in this place. So it was just to encourage you. This is a cool discipleship picture uh, that involves construction. And so let's, let's lean into it here. So many of us have driven around and we've seen half-done construction projects. And we, and we judge, right? We judge them. We're like, you know, clearly whoever planned that did not plan well, right? They didn't know what they were doing. They ran out of money, you know? And there's a little bit of an embarrassment, Jesus says, right? We all, we all look at it and we all are like, we're embarrassed for you, you know? And he relates this to discipleship. And he says, listen, if you're going to build uh, a life of following me, I want you to count the cost. I want you to count the cost. So for the rest of your days... It's a marathon. I want you to follow me. This isn't a sprint. It's not a casual walk around the block. You know, Jesus was just a nice chapter of my story. You know, one small little chapter of my life. He, he keeps the bar high. He says, this is, this is a whole life thing, right? It's, it's for the remainder of our days. I love Eugene Peterson, and I've mentioned this before, but he riffs on Frederick Nietzsche, a quote from Nietzsche, and he says that discipleship following Jesus is a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. You gotta count the cost. You gotta be willing to finish the construction project. You know, it's gonna, it's gonna take the rest of your life. Long obedience. See, what I love about that quote, we don't like any of those words in that, right? Long, no, we are not. Who's ever watched a long movie these days, right? We're not into movies. Full-length movies, nobody watches those anymore. We're into like TV shows, right? Or little YouTube clips. We, you know, we're, we're impatient. We don't want long. And obedience, it's not a popular word, right? Obeying someone. And then same direction. Same direction, that your whole life would be lived towards Jesus in the same direction. That's not our culture. We love dabbling and, you know, variety. and Same direction. A long obedience in the same direction is what Jesus is calling us to. And I want to say, for many of you in the room, you've, you've walked through a season of deconstruction, right? And, and that's been really painful for you because there's these, been these 
aspects to faith or Christianity that you're like, oh, I got to wrestle with that. I've got to like, you know, I got to take the hammer and just like tear down that piece that was not healthy, right? And there's this deconstruction. But notice, it's really interesting. Deconstruction is the language of what Jesus is getting at here, right? He's talking about building, building. And what I want to say, just to encourage anyone who's felt like you're in a season of deconstruction, is to say, listen, what if God could do a beautiful renovation in your life and in your faith? For you to say, yeah, there were some bad ways of viewing God and others, and you know, for sure, and we sledgehammer taken down to the moldy wall or whatever, but I watched the Holy Spirit do a beautiful renovation in my life. And he's doing this beautiful thing where it's like you can picture this you know, room in the house that needs a total renovation. He's, and the Spirit of God comes in and he, yeah, there's some things that get removed, get pulled out, but he's doing this new work. And so that my faith is not left as a pile of rubble, which Jesus describes. It's not just a pile of rubble and we were just taking a hammer to everything. But, but actually, actually there was a sense of renovation. And Dallas Willard calls it the renovation of the heart. The renovation of the heart. What if that's what Jesus was building in you, right? How beautiful. For the rest of your life, this beautiful renovation. So let me ask, am I prepared to follow Jesus with a long obedience in the same direction? All right, uh, verse 31 to 33. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he'll send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. This is an amazing image. Jesus, so let's talk about war. (laughs) Another topic I know a lot about, strategy and war. Uh, And then knowing when to surrender knowing when to surrender. Jesus describes discipleship like, like, this, like a battle, okay? And he says, okay, there's this king, and he's got 10,000 soldiers. But there's this other king that has 20,000 soldiers, okay? So this is two on one. What should the king with the 10,000 do? And Jesus is saying, the best thing that that king with the 10,000 soldiers should do is to uh, quickly find a white flag and start waving it and be like, I, I surrender. <laughs> I surrender. Sit, send a little delegation and go, you know, and ask for peace, right? Say peace. That's what we want. <laughs> you know, we are outnumbered. Now, uh, I, I felt this one day uh, I remember when I was working on this sermon, it, a memory I had not thought of in a very long time. Uh, when I was in high school, I was super into paintball. Um, any of you fans of paintball? Same as construction? Oh, yeah, a few. Okay. Uh, so uh, paintball, uh, so I loved it. Me and my friends, we were just like these little tiny skinny, you know, kids who bought camouflage outfits uh, from the local like army store or something and then like had like uh, uh, paintball guns. This is the South, this is Oklahoma. And uh, so anyway, we're just super into paintball and we would go during the weekends. And I remember one weekend we showed up and our little team was like ready and we're so equipped and we're so excited. And then uh, these police officers had a day off and they came as a team. And I, we just, I just remember seeing this, this group of uh, 
officers uh, in camouflage as well. And I'm like, is that, their, is, that, is that part of their actual outfit or, you know? And they played against us. And uh, I don't remember all the details. I just remember it not going well for <laughs> me and my little skinny high school friends staring at this. At what point do you just go, no, we're not, we're not gonna play this game. Could you shuffle up the teams a little bit here and move us around? Um, and so this is, this is I, I mean, I find it interesting that this is what Jesus uses for discipleship because think about it. Who's the army with the 10,000? And who's the army with the 20,000? This is, this is the image Jesus is giving. And he's saying, God is on the move. And God is coming. And the kingdom of God is moving and growing. And as Lewis says, Aslan is on the move. And the kingdom of God is moving all throughout the earth. And the best thing you should do is you should just quit now. You should quit being the king of your life now. <laughs> Surrender. Surrender. And just so you know, what we find out is that he's a good king who's on the move, right? He's a great king, he's a loving king. But the best thing you can do is not oppose him, but join his team. And Jesus says that the kingdom of God, and by the way, we see it all over the world today. Man, we see it in places like Sub-Saharan Africa and China right now where the church is just exploding and the kingdom of God is on the move. And it has a forward motion. This is what Jesus wants us to know, that God's kingdom, where he is making things right, is on the move. And it's moving, and he says the gates of hell won't prevail against it. That's forward motion. The kingdom of God is not like a nice little club that you and I are like, oh, should I be part of the kingdom? You know? No, it's, it is a movement of God that has a forward motion, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it, meaning the gates of hell, these gates at, you know, right at hell, they, they, they shake, and the kingdom of God bursts through them and moves, the light of God moves into the darkness and starts redeeming and reconciling and saving. That's the move, right? And the best thing you can do, the, the wisest thing you can do is go, okay, done with my own kingdom, joining yours, right? That's, this is what Jesus is getting at. And so I want to ask, where am I being called by Jesus to surrender and ask for peace? And he's delighted to give it to you because he's the Prince of Peace. He's delighted to give you his peace. His peace was won at the cross. He established peace and he offers it to you. And he's on the move. Finally, let's talk about salt. Verse 34, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. All right, so some of you might be pretty smart when it comes to salt, and you would say to Jesus, I think you got your salt wrong. Salt doesn't lose its saltiness. How does that work? Well, let me just tell you a little bit about salt. Um, Maybe not the salt we're, we're familiar with, but salt in Palestine 2,000 years ago and where it was taken from. So just listen to David Garland. He says this, quote, it's impossible for pure sodium chloride to lose its saltiness, but salt in Palestine was obtained from the evaporation of dead sea water and contained a mixture of salt gypsum and carnalite. The salt crystals could dissolve, leaving a residue that looked like salt, but without any salty tang. Now just focus on those last words. It looked like salt, but without any salty tang. 
It looks like the real thing, but does not taste like the real thing. To tweak some Radiohead lyrics. Looks like the real thing, does not taste like the real thing. And salt is good, right? It's good. Like in cultures before refrigeration, salt was a preservative and preserved meat. And as we all know, it enhances flavor in the food and in small quantities can be used as fertilizer in certain kinds of soil. See, salt is good. Salt is a blessing. And Jesus, Jesus says, my kingdom people, my disciples are a blessing to the world around them, Right? They're not all hostile to the world around them. They're a blessing. They preserve. They have flavor. They, they, they fertilize. They're, they're just good for the world. But that there is a way of following me, says Jesus, where you look like the real thing, but you do not taste like the real thing. And what good is that? And each of us as disciples, we go, oh, okay, hold on. <laughs> just a second. Am I being transformed by Jesus? truly changed, that I might be a blessing, a blessing to the world around me, living a life of love and worship and service to those around me. North Langley, um, can you see Jesus' passion that the crowds around him are going to have to make a choice? You and I are given that opportunity today. And what I want to do is just slowly walk through those four questions. And I hope that the Spirit of God brings one or two things to mind for you. So let me ask, where am I following the way of the crowd? Who has the ultimate allegiance in my life? Am I prepared to follow Jesus with a long obedience in the same direction? And where am I being called by Jesus to surrender and ask for peace? In my own life this week, it's been incredibly convicting to think about the ways in which I make decisions around people-pleasing. And I just want to say, there is a pendulum here, isn't there? That we live our life pleasing people, compromising. There's a terrible way to live over here, which is narcissistic, my way or the highway. Any thought I have is the right thought. <laughs> not open to feedback, right? That's, that's not what we want. But what I want to do is I just want to come right here and just say, Lord, save me from narcissism and save me from people-pleasing. And I want to follow you. I want to follow you and be faithful to what you've called me to do. So that's for me. There's just a few, actually several lessons within that umbrella for me this week. How do I follow you? Humbly, but you're Lord of my life. So what about you? For whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Northangley, um, can you stand and uh, we'll close our eyes. Let's do that in order. Stand, then close eyes. Dangerous uh, ask there. So let's stand together, let's close our eyes, let's spend some time in prayer. And if you're new to Jesus, by the way, this is what we do. We, we, we end our time in prayer because this isn't just about head knowledge, this is about an encounter with the Holy Spirit. So as we come and pray, 
Holy Spirit, we would ask that you would fill this room with your love. Fill this room with your love, Holy Spirit. And Jesus, I pray that right now you would speak so lovingly with your conviction that we would know where you're calling us to go. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer in a second, but North Langley, just in this space, I wanna let you know our prayer team was praying and they are sensing that there might be a few of you who may need prayer for healing, some physical healing. They would love to pray for you, specifically anyone who has had ongoing, a female here who's had ongoing bleeding, like the woman in the New Testament. And uh, just, they would like to pray for healing and to let you know that you're invited to the banquet to, to come to God again. So if that's you, would you just go to the prayer room? They would love to pray for you. But for all of us here, would you remember the moment when Jesus called you by name? Called you by name. He came to you at a moment in your life and he said, come, follow me. And he called you by your name, right? He loves you. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would remind my friends of your love for them. You called them by name and you are welcoming us into your kingdom of life, of forgiveness, of grace. And would you show us right now where to surrender, where to turn our lives over to you again. And Jesus, we remember when the crowd was shouting, crucify him and yet you loved us and you went to the cross. And we remember the pressure of the crowd and we remember that even though the pressure of the crowd was there, you willingly laid your life down for us. And so we receive that love again. And North Langley, if any of you are just wanting to receive prayer, any prayer, our prayer team is up here. They would love to pray for you. If there's any shame that you've been feeling, any conviction when it comes to following Jesus, any sense that you need to receive his love again, once again, would you come forward and receive prayer? And so Jesus, we give our lives to you. Call us again. We renew our commitment to you. We wanna to surrender to you and we love you, amen.